Um, project, let me begin by just saying that it is proving difficult to get American citizens out of their automobiles. No surprise. <laughs> Even $4 a gallon gasoline has had modest effect. I read recently that the uh, decline in May from the previous year was 3.5% in our vehicle miles traveled and our fuel consumption. I consider that to be marginal at best. Now, public officials and drivers um, are all hoping for a quick and painless solution. Uh, hopefully, they think technology will come to the answer. If you're a technological optimist, you may uh, say, yes, we will. The hydrogen highway, uh, biofuels, you name it. There's going to be a technological answer. But technical, I'm sorry, public officials are called upon to weigh these ideas that are uh, brought to them, often by uh, sales agents and by advocates, uh, zealots even. How are public officials going to make these kinds of decisions when many of them, in fact most, have little technical background? What is needed is a tool to help them evaluate these alternatives on some kind of a consistent basis. But there's more. A biblical tool would be holistic. It would look at attributes other than just the technical. Um, in fact, a biblical tool would reflect shalom in the solution that was picked. Shalom being uh, safety, peace, security, and the assurance of these things. Cost-benefit assessment, which you'll hear often used by the economic community and even the technical community, is too narrow in its focus. It tends to reduce everything to an economic value and try to make decisions on that basis. So um, I'm involved in this project, which I'll tell you a little bit about. Did I do that? Can't imagine I did that. Turn off your mic power and turn it back on. Technology. Just let me say that uh, a biblical approach is going to start from this position, that after the creation, there was a fall. The creation was damaged, and the damage occurred in four dimensions. There was social, environmental, and psychological and spiritual. 
Now by that, <laughs> so why is it happening here? It seems like it's associated with this connection. The demons don't want me to give this talk. Because it's geared to the to charts. Subversion by Can I just say that this is why folks won't ride trains? Current trains. I brought my own computer. It's on my own computer. But you can switch the whole thing. Let's just check this connection. Also. Would you bring me my laptop? It's sitting on the And the power, power cord in a minute. It's going to be worth your wait, I'm sure. Train will be leaving short. I'll, I'll plug it in over here, Walter. Well, you can probably run into the lunch hour a little bit, Jack. I will, if necessary. <laughs> so walk me over here, and we'll just start this one up. I don't want this computer or not, but we'll try. Let's switch it over to this one. Okay. Vertical and the And this is the projector connection. The point I was going to make theologically to set a stage for this is that uh, at the fall from grace, there were four separations that occurred. And that was first and foremost, humans were separated from their creator. And uh, we'll call that a theological separation. And the second was the one we hear the most about, which is the humans became dangerous to their physical environment. And it became dangerous to them. Animals began eating them and poison oak uh, occurred. And other environmental non-sustainabilities occurred. But there were also two other separations that we hear less about, and that is the social one where humans became dangerous to other humans and alienation occurred and wars began. And then the psychological in which humans were separated from themselves uh, mentally and spiritually, and there became psychological uh, 
problems. So the point is that technology can intensify all of these separations. Technology can also be used to heal all of these separations. And so technology, if it's evaluated on the basis of its healing qualities or its propensity to separate or intensify these separations can be judged on that basis. Uh, trains are part of sustainability and I would say even healing. So let me make that case. Uh, the uh, rail line between Larkspur across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco and all the way up the coast has been dormant for about 10 years. Uh, and the proposal is to install commuter rail on the southernmost uh, counties of it, 60 miles or so from Cloverdale to the ferry at Larkspur. And the problem is that 101, the parallel highway, is the, one of the most congested highways in the state of California, certainly in the Bay Area. Uh, the, the baseline proposal is to put uh, self-propelled diesel multiple units on that line and run commuter trains. And it's been on the ballot for three consecutive years, or twice so far, and it'll be on the ballot next November. But the problem is it's been voted down twice. The goal of the project, the, the Sonoma Marin Area Rail Transit Project, is to provide an alternative to driving for those who choose not to and those who cannot. And then from the standpoint of sustainability to reduce carbon emissions through reduced vehicle miles traveled and the fringe benefit is reduced congestion. But it doesn't matter which way you come at this, it's a benefit from either standpoint. And interconnectivity in the near term is through the ferries, uh, but um, ultimately through rail connections to the rest of the California network and when traffic allows to build a bay crossing. Uh, most energy efficient solution one can and stay within affordable cost because it's a quarter cent sales tax in the two counties. So what's happened is that uh, it's been voted down by a narrow margin, mostly by the people in the southernmost county known as Marin, who don't often seem like they belong to this planet. The objections are that it'll cost too much. We don't want to pay this, but that ignores the subsidy to highways and automobiles. Or not enough people are going to ride it, but that was, I haven't heard that as much since the price of gasoline began shooting upward. Trains are noisy and they pollute, but I suppose that means trucks and cars do not. Uh, trains will promote growth and sprawl, as commonly heard, but yet trains are, if you will, like spokes in a wheel and Historically, development has occurred along those spokes. So I would say trains are the, uh, because they're not as flexible in two dimensions, they are just the opposite of that. They tend to promote de development in high-density uh, hubs. It doesn't cross the bay, and that is true. A new bay crossing would cost $10 billion. So it crosses the bay on the surface by connecting to the ferry. It will be a safety hazard at grade crossings. I can't deny that's, that's true. Uh, and there will be traffic delays due to uh, emergency vehicles, they say, won't get across readily. And it's old technology. So I want to start with uh, the bottom one first, because here are some other old technologies. And <laughs> there are 
just because they were invented over a century ago doesn't mean, therefore, they are not useful today. Sometimes we had good ideas long ago that are good ones, and they endure. Why is this a Christian issue? I've already started into that, but because God intends for his people first to be transformed in their personal lives and their spirits, and as they mature to begin to live distinctly. Distinctly means visibly different from the secular community. And that means even getting so bold as to be instruments of righteousness in transforming the rest of the world. And that means to promote justice, promote shalom, and going back to the theme of the conference, uh, to do justice and uh, love mercy and live humbly before God. And as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand, so we as his agents need to be demonstrating that his kingdom is at hand and it means something. So I talked about this. Technological solutions have unintended consequences like every other human endeavor, not the least of which is they increase the human footprint on the planet. That's not necessarily bad because we were directed in Scripture to continue with developing a culture, but it's to be a godly one. So the, these four alienations I talked about, social is one of them, uh, and uh, we can uh, either worsen those problems or heal them using technology. But you will hear people say, we can solve these problems with technology putting social problems into a technological domain and trying to address them that way. There are lots of examples. I don't have time to give you any of them. But then environmental is the most common. We hear much about the environmental impact of technology. In fact, the three previous talks were specifically that. Um, but some will say, well, new environmentalism is a new age issue and therefore Christians can't touch it. But I think we've grown past that, especially in ASA. We've got lots of ammunition to deal with that issue. Now, aesthetic is my current substitute for, for uh, psychological because I'm dealing with a secular audience with this tool, developing it for a secular audience. And I'll say that if we get our uh, psychological uh, peace from the uh, green environment and the, and the peaceful environment, then I'll address that one. And the spiritual... Well, I'm going to substitute economic because uh, for many market economists, there's no real separation between the spiritual and the economic. So is aesthetic damage merely the price of progress? And is the spiritual issue really equivalent to letting the market be our God? These are the issues that we have to address when we're dealing with secular audiences. So... What are the options? The opponents have said, well, let's do this and let's do this and let's do all these other ideas rather than put trains on that right-of-way, which is already publicly owned. And I will run through these quickly. The ones that I've listed on the left, uh, I'm calling less reasonable or less likely. The ones on the right are really worth looking at more deeply. So Nancy and I, after last year's ASA meeting, went to the Netherlands and rode their trains and walked on their uh, walkways and did everything but ride in cars. And we went everywhere we went, quickly, cheaply, efficiently, and on time. And it was great. Here's a picture of a, of a trimodal transportation system in the Netherlands that works marvelously. And there's an electrified sprinter uh, rail vehicle. Now, this rail right away that I'm talking about in Marin and Sonoma counties is um, 
um, owned by the southernmost um, 60 miles or 70 miles are owned by the Smart Rail project, but it's going to also be used for freight for much of the way as soon as the freight gets uh, up and running. And that brings you into Federal Railway um, uh, Association um, administration guidelines on running freight and passenger on the same track, and you have to separate them by some way, either physically or run the freight at night, passengers at daytime, or put them on separate tracks, or for that matter, if they have to run uh, in similar time frames, then you have to have what's called a heavy rail vehicle. You can't put a lightweight vehicle on for, for safety reasons. So let's look quickly at the um, less realistic options, or what I call less realistic. An auto tram is, is basically an articulated bus, and the idea is let's run, let's pave the right of way um, instead of putting rails on it, or for that matter, let's put these guidelines in roadways so that you can run the buses uh, on the roadways as well, and they can be driverless because they are uh, guided by computers and guideways um, uh, conductors under the paved surface. And the claim is that, well, with hybrid engines, which will soon become available, they will be energy efficient as well. Uh, but the problem is you'd have to pay the right away, and then you couldn't run freight on it if you're going to run it on the uh, uh, rail uh, roadbed. And they're not as fast as trains, and if they're driven, then they have to have more labor. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be an advance um, in that sense. Now, this is perhaps more fun, a personal rapid transit vehicle, which are often touted as the transportation solution of the future. And what's shown is the cross-section on, on your right, and it shows it very small, and indeed it's smaller than monorail or standard rail, but what they don't show is that it has to be um, this is only, there are only one directional systems or lines, and so why do they show two in all of the publicity for monorail and standard rail, but only one for PRT, when in fact you also have to go in the other direction? But it is smaller and lighter. Uh, the idea on personal rapid transit is that we will cover the region with these lines and run every house, I mean, run a line within a quarter or at least a half a mile of every residence. So you can walk out, you don't have to have a vehicle anymore, hop in, and it will and tell the computer, the dial, the panel, where you want to go, and the computer will take you there by the shortest route. And it's uh, assumed to be, well, possibly a uh, regional uh, grid for replacing automobiles, or maybe a feeder system for a uh, trunk line, or in fact, uh, uh, perhaps covering a, a large industrial park or shopping mall. There's a picture of one, and it's the idea is that we'd cover the entire county with these elevated guideways. Uh, the idea is that it's cheap, and people will like getting in them and going without a driver to wherever they want. And they provide the privacy that automobiles provide. But... <clears throat> They've been very expensive where they've been tried, and there is no real, uh, real-world application where we can get uh, operation and maintenance data. 
and they're not useful until we have this grid that covers the area. And what's that grid going to be like once you're, all your neighborhoods have these overhead guideways over them? Um, I don't know how the public's going to live with that, but to me it seems uh, problematic. And I don't know how they're going to handle the backup of people uh, waiting to get on the little cars like you do at amusement parks. And what happens when the power goes down and they're stopped between the poles? How do you get out? You throw out a rope ladder, perhaps. <laughs> so what happens is, and I, I say this facetiously, but advocates and zealots come to the public officials and get private audiences and tout the benefits of all their solutions, thinking they'll get money from the public officials, but they don't bring along the what-ifs and, and, and comparisons. Now, the idea of extending these further is to embed our freeways, or what are contemporary freeways, with these uh, buried guidance systems and dispense with uh, steering wheels and um, all the pedals that are, we now use to control our vehicles, but instead they'll be computer controlled. So we've kind of combined the idea of an elevated system and put it on the ground with a, you just get in your vehicle and you punch your destination and it'll take you there by the best route. Um, and because they're computer controlled, they can run close, more closely together and not rear end each other in, in um, uh, density, high density problems. So you get more effective utilization of right of way. But it's pretty complex and it depends heavily upon the computer system, the software. They're expensive and you're still stuck with the use of land uh, by covering land area with impervious surface, which is problem, problematic for runoff. And there's no such thing in operation today except in amusement parks. And so how do we know how they're going to work in real-world applications? The advocates say, well, here's a picture, and look what we can do on rail lines. We can, uh, we can bypass stations because we don't have to stop there. The trains that are not, don't have any, are not carrying passengers to get off at this point can just bypass them. And I'm thinking, well, how is that new? Haven't rail lines been doing that for since the beginning, but uh, so I added on one of their graphics, I added a, a bypass on the train station. So I don't see that as a new concept. Now monorail, uh, all, all you know about it, it's in Seattle and it's in Disneyland, but not many other places. A single elevated track uh, carrying a wheeled vehicle that's up and out of traffic, and so therefore it doesn't compete with uh, the same land surface area for, for uh, uh, right-of-way. And it's quiet, and they're fun to ride, and it can't derail, but there's problems because they don't have an efficient crossover mechanism. So they have to be two lines everywhere. You'll never see a one-track uh, one monorail. They're always two tracks, and they're very expensive, and they're problematic because they take up so much uh, space overhead that there's underneath them is always living in the shadows. And you can't switch from this to any other kind of mode. Uh, for example, it's not sh uh, commensurate with other, uh, with, with rail, for example. You have to get off one and get on the other. And it's still a novelty in spite of its promise for, for decades. Maglev has advanced somewhat beyond novelty stage. There actually is one in Shanghai now going to the airport. And the idea is that you get your levitation free by just having the repulsive 
force of, of two magnets with equal polarity. And that lifts the train off the uh, rail, and then it can run at high speed. And that's good. The problem is that most of the energy consumed in transport is not due to rolling resistance, especially on steel wheel and steel rail. It's due to wind resistance. So you don't gain anything in that standpoint. In fact, the advantage here is only uh, hitting rail at its strength because the rolling resistance of rail is so small that uh, high-speed rail in test conditions has been virtually identical to the best speeds attained by any maglev system. So we have a pretty sexy new technology with very limited advantage. Very expensive, like $136 million a mile. Um, and the same problem is true with noise at high speed. Most of your noise is due not to rolling, but to wind. And the energy savings is small. Also, because it takes so much time to start and stop, they're not suitable for commuter operations, but instead for distances such as 100 miles or higher. People have said, well, why don't we just run the Bay Area Rapid Transit across the bay? And the answer is, sure, but it's $10 billion to uh, build a new bay crossing. And it's a five-foot gauge instead of a standard rail gauge. So again, you'd have to shift modes to go from one to the other. And it's very expensive. It's electric powered, and that's good, and it's quiet, and that's good. Uh, but the cost per mile is way, way higher than just putting these diesel locomotives, or I'm um, sorry, diesel multiple units on the tracks. All right, so why not bus rapid transit, uh, electrified rail, dual mode vehicles, and so forth. So let me quickly go through these. BRT is up and running in several cities nationwide. Uh, So-called high-speed bus system operates on a dedicated right-of-way. So it's the same thing as a rail line, but it has rubber tires. <clears throat> and uh, the answer is, well, maybe if you have buses on the right-of-way, then at the end of that right-of-way, they can get off and roll on the highways. You don't have to change modes from one to the other. But in this case, we have to pave the tracks, and then we can't run the freight trains anymore. And it doesn't permit the transportation, the transit-oriented uh, spine-like development that rail does. And rubber tires have much more rolling resistance than steel wheels on steel rail. And where they're tried head-to-head, -head, people prefer trains. Just they vote with their feet, and people flock to trains, and they avoid buses. The psychology of that is worth examining a separate time. Now, in the Japan, there's something that they're experimenting with, a small bus that can switch off the tracks and run on the roads. And it's a, but it's a small unit. Uh, it does require uh, provide flexibility, but because it has to carry these extra wheels, the performance is down, and it takes a long time to get from the road back onto the rails. It doesn't get long to get off the rails, but it does uh, to get onto them. And they're small, and so the capacity, there's lots of labor requirements for drivers to do it. Now, here's the baseline system that's uh, a self-propelled diesel car that can uh, actually pull separate units uh, or cars if necessary. And since each unit is separately propelled, if one goes down, you don't lose power and stop and block the tracks. Runs on standard gauge rails. Uh, it can be modularly increased in capacity. 
takes advantage of low rolling resistance of steel wheel and steel rail, and it's already commercially in service, and so we have O&M data that we can use. Um, no overhead structures to block view or become visual, um, and but yet, if you keep your rail, you can electrify it later as traffic density allows. But it still carries its own fuel on board, that's a weight penalty, and you know where our fuel comes from, um, and diesel engines don't last as long as electric ones. It would be nice to go electric if we had the wherewithal to do it. The final solution is do nothing, just keep on driving. Um, but yet, congestion is a, a major problem. So, uh, we lose time, uh, we don't have these social opportunities for people who can't drive, and 60% of the greenhouse gases in these two counties are coming from motor vehicles today, and safety. So, what do we do? How do public officials make comparisons? Do they listen to the sales reps and lobbyists? Uh, do they consider the technology that gets the most columns space in the, in the newspapers is the best one? Uh, or do we just go with technological optimism and plow on ahead and see where te technology takes us? Do we deny that there's global warming issue or minimize it? Or cost-benefit analysis? Well, I'm suggesting none of the above, but take the shalom approach. And as I said, greenhouse gases, transportation produces more than 60% of the greenhouse gases in this region, and it's rising, in spite of the fact that California has just adopted a goal of significant reductions from the 1990 levels, and we're still getting worse. Uh, rail transport um, is using, I'm sorry, transportation is still using an increasing share of the U.S. energy picture uh, portion. Uh, but a shift to rail would make a major dent in that, whether it be light or heavy rail. So let's then draw my conclusion. Yeah, I can do five minutes easily. I'm, now let's put this together. How do we compare? Well, I've, I've offered four categories of separation between man and uh, his environment and his God and himself. And so I took these four um, and I started listing some detailed measures uh, for that category, like reducing vehicle miles traveled or vehicle hours traveled, reducing greenhouse gases, reducing impermeable surface, uh, using less land per, per passenger or ton of freight and so on, no new right-of-way required. Social, provide choices, get it operational soon, uh, reduce petroleum imports, fits the Metropolitan Transportation Commission regional plan and flexible geographically. Not all of these are necessarily attributes for rail, but they're attributes that have to be measured in these categories. Economically, it means compliant with the freight, saving commute time, keeping capital costs manageable, using an existing infrastructure, don't preclude other options, and aesthetic, uh, minimize these overhead structures and shadows, uh, reduce smog, quiet, and so forth. All right, let's put these then in a great big table, which I did. Across the uh, top are 11 alternatives, and across the uh, vertical axis, down the vertical axis, are um, 20 different attributes. Or is it 30? I forget. So what I did is I just said, okay, let's go 0, 3, or 0, 5, and 9, 
to uh, get some separation, and, and I will do my personal assessment of the impact in each category. Is it high impact, moderate impact, or no impact? And I put those down. Green means uh, it's a high impact, uh, high correlation. Red means no correlation or anti-correlation, and orange or yellow is in between. I basically put those in, and I added them all up. And lo and behold, diesel, multiple units, steel well and steel rail, comes out way, way ahead on the basis of these attributes I could come up with. And the next best is electrify the line and put electrified uh, heavy rail units on it. The worst of all is keep driving. Now, no surprise there. Now, so I say, I show this to public officials and they, they seem entertained by it. <laughs> uh, uh, but and, but they, they say, but isn't he also an advocate for something? And the answer is yes. But I, I hand him this, this chart. I say, you look at it, and you fill it in for yourself. Make your own assessment, and see if you come up with a different answer. And that gives me objectivity. And uh, maybe it's making an impact, because at least they're not hammering away on, let's do anything but trains in the recent past. With that, I end. Thank you.